everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today we are extremely excited to be joined by a very special guest, Ted Cheeseman, who is the CEO and founder of Happy Whale. Happy Whale engages citizen scientists to identify individual marine mammals for fun and for science. They have a collection of fluke photos and other identifying photos of lots of species, but mainly humpback whales, and then use those to identify and track other sightings of the same whales. So be prepared for a lot of fluke talk. And sit back (laughs) and enjoy as we dive right in. Ted is here. It's very exciting to talk to him. We first met digitally, I think probably when Happy Whale just got started or just before or just after. It was not too long after Whale Tales got started. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah, 2015-ish. Yeah, yeah, we all had we had some fluke photos and from our stories and we just kind of went from there. And then we did actually meet, we were just remembering, in 2016, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. was 7,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's approximate. <laughs> you can check my math. Um, and yeah, we've just been sending you fluke photos ever since when we have them, but it's so great to be finally meet up and talk to you again. Yeah. So I, I don't even know where to start, but gosh, when we met, have new, and at that point it was just pure experiment. It was purely me, uh, being, well, not purely me, but, uh, it, it, it came about largely by virtue of thinking. So I, I've spent, uh, 27 years leading expeditions to Antarctica now. And I grew up, my parents ran a wildlife safari company when I was a kid. And it's now my safari company. And, uh, you know, kind of that's been my single major career uh, is organizing and guiding expedition, wildlife expeditions around the world. And in particular for myself, Antarctica. Um, and this is a place where one, there was the greatest whaling, the largest numbers of whales killed last century. The numbers are just jaw dropping. I mean, 2 million whales killed in the Antarctic, 3 million in the whole world. And as huge and depressing as a number that is, the, the, the crazy element there is that you know, we basically took all the whales, but fortunately for the whales, they became commercially extinct before, in most species cases, before they became you know, biologically in- extinct because the products that we made for them, from them, were really low value products, right? It's like basically oil, um, honestly, margarine, dog food, uh, fertilizer. Yeah. Like it literally, we're not talking about like, it's so amazing you know but fortunately for the whales it's not like ivory or rhino horn Mm -hmm. where they got to be ridiculously valued Mm -hmm. as 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 these like catchy raw things right um so they became commercially non-viable well so when i started going to the antarctic we basically didn't see whales we would see very few whales on the antarctic peninsula we would see some occasional humpback whale occasional minke whale and such um, occasional fin whale out at sea, but like around the island of South Georgia, we would see nothing. And within a day's sail of South Georgia, there were 170,000 whales killed. Oh. Our, my own first 25 years, 20, no, sorry, 16 years of going to South Georgia, didn't see a single near shore large cetacean. Um, 
but there's these huge massive you know ghost whaling stations falling apart and stuff and and so but gradually we started to see these populations recover and for me from that point of view of like I'm an expedition guide and my job there is to you know interpret what we see for people and especially the one-time visitor to Antarctica give them a sense of like know this ecosystem and understand you know in one visit what takes you know a lifetime to learn kind of thing so I want I was there as an interpretive guide and I want to you know I want people to realize that as pristine as this place looks you know, yes, revel in the glory of this wilderness, but also realize like we have a really heavy impact on this place and our choices matter and that kind of thing. And the kind of the environmental message that you become an ambassador of this place and let's not make these mistakes again. I didn't feel like I had good information to go on. And yet when we started seeing whales, we're seeing this like, oh, you know, here's information that I wanted to get to science. So it was kind of happy well to me was my way of trying to form a bridge between wanting more information about the whales we're seeing and wanting that us seeing these whales be information to science. And honestly, like I say, it was an experiment. I didn't really, it was kind of this thing like we started it without really much in the way of automated image recognition and knew that to get to where we hope to be, we would have to be able to automate being able to recognize humpbacks. Humpback flukes do set themselves up pretty well for automated image recognition, but still it was not a solved problem. And then, you know, fast forward some years and we managed to nail that. So that's been incredible. And then on top of that, put together, you know, it was kind of this arc of um, a few research groups jumping aboard early, namely in specific um, Cascadia Research Collective around your parts, more or less, um, and um, Allied Whale in New England in Antarctica, Antarctic Humpback Whale Catalog, and then Alaska Whale Foundation. And the three groups gave us a bunch of images and then a number of other research groups kind of joined on after, but not really until after it was like, here we had this base to build off of and then kind of shouted out to the world, you know, not, not really, I'm, I am not an effective marketer. I'm not effective with social media and stuff. It was just kind of like, Hey folks, you know, send us your whales if you want to see who's in your photos. And, um, and so we started to, you know, find some matches and such and people, the whole shtick of it is like, you send us your photos and we'll tell you what we find. We've built this automated feedback loop, right? So we find a match and instead of us having to sit there and, and write an email, hey, cool, you know, here's all the people that have seen this whale before, it was automated. So we're just sending out, you know, little email notifications. So that started just kind of building momentum. And then eventually um, a bunch of other research groups joined in and that's kind of where, as that happened and as image recognition automation happened, we got to this place where, you know, this kind of snowball that started rolling. And now in the North Pacific, especially, I mean, we know for you guys in the Salish Sea, yeah. we yeah. know oh. all your whales, <laughs> you know, like all of them, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it's not because we have so much information, but yeah. it's because of this collaboration of all these different research groups. I mean, we've got Cascadia Research Collection, Collective and Salish Sea Humpback Whale 
study and um, the um, mayor's, um, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on, I mean, the DFO has um, has engaged with us now. We're hoping to to build in yeah. um, and pull together. The DFO kind of stopped collecting much mm-hmm. data in about 2012, yeah. but lots of different NGOs yeah. um, carried on from there. So now there's this BC-wide effort to bring it back together. You probably know all about this probably maybe in greater detail than I, but, and it's been really a treat that this algorithm has been a resource for pulling that back together because with humpbacks, you know, they were delist in the U S anyway, we took them off the endangered species list for most populations. And, um, and so it was kind of this like, okay, well, yeah, focus on other stuff. And so funding ran out for a bunch of efforts and it just, and I think that's a parallel to why DFO kind of stopped. Um, and so, you know, it's been a real treat because um, because some years on from that delisting, we're all realizing, yeah, well, they're still involved in a lot of change. And with the blob, this mm-hmm. great yeah. heat wave that hit the North Pacific, suddenly several... Uh, areas just had a total breeding collapse of humpbacks and we're sitting there saying well maybe maybe we should really keep close tabs on this yeah (laughs) maybe it's a good idea to watch healthy populations just as much as the ones that are critically endangered healthy populations can't teach us anything (laughs) well and that's a great part though is that the reality there is you know here we've got this you know it's a healthy population but the truth is we can't look back to before whaling, right? So we don't exactly really know what it was like beforehand. And they've come back to what we think was the pre-whaling population. But at the same time, it's just like, wow, you know, this is a, such a dynamic time and place. The Sailor Sea is the best example of that ever, where it was just like, they just weren't mm-hmm. there. And also the population you know? came back maybe in the same numbers, but there's so much else about populations than just the count. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, age structure and migratory structures and all that stuff with humpbacks, especially and genetic diversity. Mm-hmm. If you want to get into like the super minutiae of it, but it's not just even humpbacks, right? Like we talk about that with the southern residents all the time, and and that we were at a really fascinating talk just before the pandemic hit in, in terms of like what does success for southern resident killer whales even look like? Because yeah. we don't even know, and this is the best studied individual population of any cetacean and no one even knows actually what the healthy mm-hmm. quotation <laughs> yeah. the healthy the healthy population of southern residences because we just you know like studying these animals whether it's with happy whale or with any sort of ngo research it's less yeah. than 50 years yeah like usually a lot less than 50 years. And that is such a small amount of the time that obviously these animals have been living in our oceans. Some of them actual individuals. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So over the years on Happy Whale, do you have a, a story of like the most unexpected or the craziest um, connection that has been made of like, mm. um, you know, thought to have been multiple individuals, but is actually one? 
Well, that's 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 been a fun one. I mean, I when you you know the first thing that comes to mind when you say the kind of the craziest connection is we found an individual. We found a match between a whale that um, two sightings of a whale, one from the Antarctic Peninsula and one from the east coast of Australia, which is a really long ways. I mean, it's just a real. You know, there's not really a lot of logic to why an east coast whale would swim all the way to East Coast Australia whale, would swim all the way to the Antarctic Peninsula to feed. And, you know, we don't have enough sampling there to see, you know, does this happen every year? Is this just this particular individual? Is this, we do have enough data to know that it's certainly that's, that one event is quite a rarity, right? We have quite a few matches, I mean, not, it's it's a, a very small fraction of the population, but still quite a few in the the low two digit, you know, sort of like 20 ish matches between Oceania, like uh, Tonga, American Samoa, um, New Caledonia. Well, no, I, th- I think we don't maybe from New Caledonia. New Caledonia is just east of what seems to be some level of a line of whales that they don't really go west or though. No, sorry. Those whales aren't really going to go east from there. They're, but, but, but that's, that's a, I mean, each ocean. So happy whales data collection, we have quite a lot in the North Pacific, but there's already so many studies. Um, there's so much of a history in, North, in the North Pacific that, um, that we're not finding these like big new patterns in terms of individual travels. But what has been surprising to me is the the ability to look over the course of the whole lifespan of a whale. So in the North Pacific, you've got this, we, we're building off of the splash study, which... Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So, and that has been such an enormous thing to build from, one, because it was this um, precedent of a very successful collaboration, right? You had you know, 45 research groups, something like that, that brought together 18,000 photos, photos from 18,000 encounters. Out of that, they manually matched and found 8,000 different individual humpbacks. And the thousands of hours involved in that manual matching, it just, (laughs) yeah, just absolutely boggles my mind. That was all like 2005 and six. So most of that was like film photos Mm -hmm. too. A lot of it was just barely digital. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I don't really know kind of funding wise if they were, you know, sort of buying cameras for folks. But looking at the photos, as I have done in great <laughs> a lot, you know, the photos yeah. have metadata as as you would have from a digital oh, okay. image. Um, but just barely, like it was just the beginning of, and I think that was probably pretty facilitating. I don't, I don't, I don't know. There may have been some users in there that were, you know, some of it may have been scanned from film and then metadata put in or something. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, this was this was where like right at that kind of the beginning of where scale was starting to expand dramatically, but after Splash, it was sort of this like, whoa, here's this big study we're not going to have the capacity to carry that on. But all these groups were like, yes, but we want to keep photographing mm-hmm. our whales. So then you ha- we have, we kind of came into this with, you know, 15 almost years of a lot of different organizations were kind of in this, like, yeah, we kept up our own 
catalog until 2010 or 2012. And then there just got to be too many photos. And so by our being able to automate the image recognition, the first thing was kind of getting the most recent stuff and kind of getting to know most whales in most areas where, especially the Eastern Pacific, you know, we have this. And the great thing about the Pacific is that there's a lot of sampling on feeding grounds and breeding grounds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in some cases like Baja, even this kind of interchange zone, right? This tra- transition travel zone. Um, so, but um, as we made things more efficient, we sort of dig back in and a few groups that just like dug through the archives and gave us images all the way back into the seventies. And so at this point, we believe, kind of conservatively, but I feel safe in saying 60% chance any humpback whale photographed anywhere in the North Pacific as an adult since the year 2000, we will know that individual. And oh, that's really awesome. Right? Yeah. That's so, so amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you've got this whole ocean basin where we, you know, it's not like we have a representative sample. Like we know most of the whales and then certain areas, Salish Sea, like I say, you know, it's only, it's only the new juveniles that we don't know. Um, And so we're playing around with this. And one of the things that, that I think we have room to improve a little bit is like um, breeding ground calf matching to first summer matching, right? Because they change a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, but then from first summer on to adult, the algorithm as it's built now tends to be able to find them. They'll change a lot. But um, yeah, and this is a podcast, so I can't really show you a picture. But today I was actually having a a little, you know, Facebook um, discussion with a fellow who was like, well, automated net matching would never find this match. I'm like, Maybe, but let's not make this a, you know, let's not make the narrative human versus machine. It's Mm -hmm. what can the image recognition do that augments what, you know, computers not very good at thinking and, and, and understanding and context. It is very good at pattern recognition. And I pulled Mm -hmm. up just kind of to show this, like, I just kind of went to this archive of, of unusual, you know, surprising matches and there's these two photos of a whale that you would just like at a glance, you'd just be like, no way. You would just not even look twice. It would if you were manual matching, you would just scan right past that. Mm-hmm. But the match came up with a pretty high score in a way that when, you know, basically every match is I don't need to get into the depths of the neural network, you know. The, basically black box element of it but it's basically like like if you imagine a multi-dimensional space it's like take all the features and 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 then eventually it's like score the quality of the match based on the proximity in that multi-dimensional space right so things that end up close together are more likely to be a match and so it ends up with a score and and when it's two quality photos and it's a score above a certain threshold we say almost certainly it's going to be a match. And if it's way above that threshold, it's basically always a match. Um, and in this one case, I'm looking at this going, well, there's something I'm not seeing, so I better look closer. And sometimes it's because of like, we've made an error in the back end and we've put two whales together that shouldn't be. 
Mm-hmm. And right, so like a, a manual match was wrong and then it's comparing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Or just, or just a clear clear, like we clicked the wrong button at some point and said, Oh, this whale is that whale. And they're not, but, but in this case, I'm looking at these two folks and what it is, is a juvenile, you know, first year whale, and it's got, it's not very scarred, but very milky fluke, mm-hmm. but in presenting in a way that it didn't scream, I'm a juvenile. And then an adult with very different, you know, some of them will change really quite dramatically from first year. They look like they're going to be all white and then it turns out to be, you know, two thirds black or something like that. So that's been really cool. And actually working with University of Alaska Southeast, they have this whole longstanding uh, program where they would they would just use a film code on a whale if they only saw it once. But once they saw it twice, they would put a Southeast Alaska ID on it, right? Mm-hmm. So they have all these quote unquote film code only whales. And, you know, it took kind of these extra steps, but we're going through all these going, okay, let's look carefully, see if we can find matches to these whales. And in a lot of cases, that was the first, you know, it, it was a one-time sighting only. And then the the known whale that it was matched to was seen the next year or two years later, and then a continuous sighting. So it was cool because then we get to say, okay, this is a juvenile and therefore we can date that whale. And we know, you know, the age of this individual. Um, one of the things, especially when I was working on it, um, a catalog for Claypot Sound for my honors thesis, when we were just like it was 2006, it was prime CSI. And we're like, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a humpback fluke CSI thing, which is how I imagine your program works. But I'm sure that there's not like crazy rock music unless there is. Um, And you guys find a match and then solve the crime. Um, So So far, we have not linked any match to a crime. Okay. Well, that's well. Like, you know, I mean, humpback crimes. Who knows? I tend to, yeah. Well, entanglements are. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, like to think of entanglements as a crime because then it's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's like it's better to work with fishing. With fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So how does it work? Uh, I know that there are points, right? There's the top yeah. points of the fluke, and then the middle. Sure. So you match those or how does it yeah so absolutely okay okay so i mean i guess the i'll i'll give you kind of like a high level how it works but then i'll talk about how it like actually works yeah (laughs) how it actually works high level how how it functions is first the algorithm needs to 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 locate the fluke right so it's like here's a picture is there a humpback whale in there Mm -hmm. don't know look for a humpback whale our eyes, we're okay, and 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 at at its at its lightest level, um, humans are really good at recognizing context. Computers are completely horrible at understanding. <laughs> or artificial intelligence has a really hard time with context, but it's really good with pattern. And if you're like you're if you're if you doubt that, if you think humans are better at pattern recognition, you know, pick up a box and read to me the barcode on that box, right? You can't, right? And and so what we need to do is we need to teach the AI context. This is what you're looking for. Here's a fluke. You know, so the algorithm is basically trained to to look for that classic presentation of you know, fluke tips, a V-notch, and then it can fill in the the rest and say, okay, cool. 
I now see a whale tail, give me, you know, then I'll describe the pattern. And so then what it does is it breaks down the pattern into basically a whole, whole bunch of descriptors. So it's using the shape, it's using um, the patterns. The trailing edge shape is a very strong signal. Um, and, and thank goodness, because that's tough for our human eyes, but it's yeah. generally the most enduring, um, especially calf to adult, um, that kind of long stretch of time, especially those first years and accumulation of scars and such. Um, but so, so that, and then, and so then it's, then it's like throwing that into that space that I'm talking about, like, here's 50,000 whales whose individual descriptions are located in this multidimensional space. And so it takes the new whale, makes up that description and says, okay, what are the whales closest to it? Cool. And if there's some whales that are so close that they're, or a whale that it's so close that it's above the score threshold, then we'll propose it as a match. Sometimes we'll get two whales that are above that score, and then we'll look at those two whales and say, oh, well, those are actually both the same <laughs> whale. You know, and, and it will regularly happen that whale A or photo A didn't match photo B, but photo C matches A and B because, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there was some change in time and we got a photo that was halfway in between, mm -hmm. or maybe it was highly rotated. And the algorithm is actually built on um, a, uh, a, a, an algorithm called ArcFace, which was built on a set of 5 million human faces, or 5 million photos of human faces of something like 5,000 people. I can't remember the exact numbers. Um, so that the dimensionality of our face, I mean, you just think about it, like we have, you know, very, our heads are round, right? They're, they're very three dimensional, right? Well, it turns out that so is a humpback whale's tail. We think of it as this plane, but the trailing edge of a humpback's tail is, you know, five, six, eight centimeters thick. So when it's diving, that what we see as an edge is actually a shape and it's actually distorting. The base of a humpback's tail is, you know, 30, 40 centimeters. I mean, the, 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 it's, the, the fluke is, is, you know, a ton, right? There's a lot in there. It's not just a plane. It's not just, it's not like a, you know, like a dive fin that's mm -hmm. stiff, but very thin. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Probably something that, like you were saying, that the computer is better at understanding than we are. Oftentimes, and that's something that I have to look at when I, like a low scoring but possible match is oftentimes when it's very rotated and our eyes tend to expect that that rotation isn't going to change the pattern, but it does mm. because the pattern is actually three-dimensional. So it's quite good at that. Um, but, but I said, then I'll go to how it actually does it. And, and to me, that is, it's sort of that question of how do you recognize each other? You know, you don't say, oh, well, your nose is kind of slightly this and you, yeah. no, you just yeah. know, yeah. you just recognize it, each other. And that's, you know, when you see a friend down the street and they're walking in a certain way and you just catch that and you're like, oh, that's, you know, Jane, whatever. Um, it's, that is the intelligence part of the artificial intelligence is that the neural network is saying, cool, there's the connection. 
and it's it's not it is not measuring and it's saying well this distance is this you know is so close here and that distance is so close there it is and that that is where the actual intelligence side of it is is it's it's this combination of factors that makes for essentially the black box recognition that is quite similar to our own way of recognizing someone yeah, it's, that, the, it's the know, whole picture not it's the not whole like, picture which is yeah. cool because like, yeah, so what we'll do is when we build the descriptions for every individual, what we'll do is, you know, some whales we've only seen once, but some we've seen over a hundred times. And we'll take basically the best five photos, if we have more than five, five or more encounters, the best five photos and um, from different encounters. So it's going to be over time in the whale's life and such and different light exposures and all this and that. But it basically averages and comes up with, it's like, I know the whale, not I know this picture. Mm -hmm. So we're not matching picture to picture. We're matching picture to identity, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which appears to make it more, much more, uh, you know, much more successful. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I mean, I consistently, I'm going like, wow, did it find that match? <laughs> so, All right. So basically Amazing. you've managed to formulate this program that does the same thing as naturalists do when they look out and see a fin and go, I know that whale. I've been yeah. seeing it just for practice. the last 15 years. Yeah. 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 The, the natural yep. talent that interpreters and whale watch guides have. Indeed. Speaking of people <laughs> that are not in your database, but that add to it, Ted, <laughs> what can people, in particular our listeners to this podcast, do to support Happy Whale? Oh, cheers. There's a couple of different ways that people yeah. can kind of get involved and help, right? Yeah. Well, the, the classic participation is the, the photos, right? And so if you have, you know, and we're very interested in photos from any time um not just new images certainly i mean it's been really neat to there's 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 a set of north pacific humpback whale photos that date back into the 60s and i'm really hoping at some point we sort of work out to to get access to these and such um but um that's that's you know it's great i mean you just go to happywell.com and there's a little submit button and what we want to know is we basically need to know the date and you know if 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 the date is unknown within some kind of time frame like oh this was back in summer of 2000 okay so you know we may or may not it depends but uh um but we want to know the date we need to know where it was from it doesn't have to be super precise but certainly like which port were you out of that kind of thing so we use a general of course the more precise the better and for newer images, a lot of cameras have GPS on them, so people should turn on those GPS units um, and set the time and date in the camera, right? <laughs> so someone will submit a photo and it says, you know, 1989, and it's like, actually, this was taken last week, or vice versa, you know. Well, unfortunately, people will, like, tag us in a Facebook post and say, like, hey, here's this whale, and we're like, yeah, no, we're not interested <laughs> yeah, in a need. Facebook picture. Because Facebook strips up and it's, it's, yeah. And it ends up being like, well, I said it was last week, but actually it was four years ago and I just po found it and posted it last week. Well, that, so we can't, yeah. <laughs> can't kind of accommodate that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, basically the date location and the photos with humpbacks, the flukes are largely what we're using, but we're hoping it's not going to be long. There's what's really fun about this is the ongoing development, right? So we, we have nailed humpback fluke ID but we haven't yet 
effectively automated dorsal fin ID, and that hopefully will be coming. That's so um, and not just for humpbacks, hopefully for a broad range of species um, that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's in the works. Um, so certainly that that is the classic participation. Um, there's, you know, if someone doesn't have whale images, there's a lot to, to browse in Happy Whale. You can go to go to the website and then there's a browse tab. And if you click, click like last week or last month or last I think we have the options of week or month um then and then you can click this little button that says show individual connections and that one I think is really fun because oh yeah past month and past year but if you if you click the past month and it shows you basically all the data we've gotten from efforts in the past month and then this little button that says show individual connections it'll show you all the migratory patterns of basically so expands funny. the search and it says not just show me those sightings of those whales but show me all sightings of those whales and i would recommend not i would not recommend doing this on a slow internet <laughs> connection because there's actually so much data there that um that i think i think at this point if you took all the data in the last year and then all the migratory patterns from that i don't think it'll return the search because we have a kind of a limit just to 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 not deliver, not just to be shoveling so much data across the internet, but um, certainly, you know, to me, the other other thing is financial support. We have a little support us, uh, F, um, and we collaborate with this uh, really neat research project in Mexico, the Wales of Guerrero project, um, as a fiscal sponsor. So I really love that because it's a community-based conservation effort, and we work together to share the funding that that is raised here. It just keeps keeps the machine running, and and um, you know, it's it's. This is such a cool thing, and I'm really excited that it has been able to be this successful. And what's come about by virtue of getting, the, especially in the North Pacific, where we know most of the whales here, is that we're starting to be able to see, you know, what happens when there's a major marine heat wave, or what happens when, you know, can we tell, and this is an open question yet, but like, can we tell the impact of entanglement? Can we tell the impact of, of, of you know, um, ship strikes on, we have these whales, this group of whales that likes to feed right in and around the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. And when I see them feeding there, I'm just going like, oh my God, it's like having dinner on the freeway. Yeah. But um, yeah, we get. Um, stories from Allison over there, Allison Payne. Oh, yeah. And yeah, all yeah. of her photos have giant tankers behind them. And just, yeah. you never see humpbacks look so small. Absolutely. So, you know, so it's like they've decided that this is habitat. And to me, the real effort here is how do we make, you know, as we are continuing to urbanize our oceans and use our oceans intensively, how do we make ourselves compatible mm -hmm. with? You know, so that, yes, great, humpbacks are recovering, but there's other species that aren't doing so well. And let's use them as a, as a, a bit of a sentinel and, and honestly, like, a, you know, that charismatic species that makes us focus on the health of the oceans. Yeah. So with the website, I know you're not taking uh, killer whale, like southern residents, because they have lots of yeah, photos already, but you, you take other species, right? I know you look at sperm whales. We do indeed. I mean, we, we have, we have basically thrown those doors 
pretty wide open in terms of, um, you know, really any, any marine mammal effort. Um, there's a variety of smaller projects. There's a Antarctic leopard seal project that's been putting in individual IDs and we're hoping to develop eventually automation of that. Um, there's, uh, like for Southern right whales, uh, there's a project with the British Antarctic survey that we've been collaborating with cool. so that ships going to Antarctica. Yeah. If they photograph a right whale and you know, then those are manually matched, but we had a match between the Antarctic peninsula and the Island of South Georgia. So only time that has been connected and that's a population that was recovering very well. And then recently had an unexplained crash and we're just kind of going like, what happened here? So really neat and successful project, successful in getting a lot of great data about in particular blue whales and humpback whales and such. Um, but actually couldn't really say too much about the right whales. So we're, we're ongoing, continuing to try to, um, to, you know, help with that. Um, so, uh, as well, there's a fin whale project that took just all the opportunistic images that we've gotten from U.S. West Coast um, of fin whales and is, you know, manually matching those. So, yeah, absolutely. Multiple species. And the way I look at it is here's an archive, right? It costs very, very little, essentially, to store this kind of data. And if it's not ever put into a format that you know, 20, you know, two years or 20 years or 50 years from now, we want to look back and see what was the state of the oceans mm. then, yeah. then, you know, then the data is lost, right? It's very hard to retroactively construct this sort of thing. But right now, when people go out on whale watch, and they photograph these whales, you know, southern residents are being very, very well documented. So we have a bunch of pictures of southern residents, and they're mostly ID'd. And that's cool. And it's neat, because then people if they want to submit images of Southern residents, well, we can probably ID the individuals. And one person, um, Emma Luck up mm -hmm. in Alaska, she, um, yeah, so she's taken on just basically going through and IDing um, killer whales when, when we get them. Um, and that's just super fantastic. Um, you know, the Southern residents is mostly, in those cases, it's mostly a reference for the the people submitting it oh cool that's who mm -hmm. my whale is but the flip side is randomly um it's a fellow that i know a sailor that i know from antarctica they relocated and they were li they're living up in alaska and they were doing a voyage and they photographed a northern north pacific right whale what and yeah, exactly. And, you know, he, he messages me, hey, are you interested in these photos? I'm like, yes. I'm sorry, did you say North Pacific right whale? Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I sent him onward to friends at NOAA. Yeah. And there, one of them says to me, yeah, I think this is the only record of a southern, I mean, of a northern, a North Pacific right whale in that area in 50 Ugh. years. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one never knows when, when a sighting is, you know, genuinely unique and special. Yeah. And that's... So it's time, everybody, for Fun Flipper Facts with Ted. It's <laughs> fancy today. Because you're our guest, and uh, you've already shared lots of facts, but clearly these are animals that you're very passionate about, we were wondering if you could share your favorite fun fact about any species or generic group of cetaceans. 
I mean, I I gotta say that beaked whales diving oh. for over three <laughs> hours. It's just so ridiculous. It's just, yeah, like that's oxygen going into their blood. They're breathing, same stuff as we do. And apparently the human breath holding record is like 24 minutes, which itself is just jaw dropping. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the human like hyperventilating, breathing in rich oxygen, and then not moving, right? The the beak dwells like, cool, all right, I'm going to go feed. I'm going to go swim a couple miles, you know, and, and, and yet at the same time, it's doing so in this space that we, one, don't know a darn thing about, but two, are just like blasting with sound, which is, you know, one of the apparent ways in which we're impacting uh, beach whales. I'm sure you have some other uh, whale tales that you might like to share. Any in particular that might stick in mind, maybe from an Antarctic trip or something? Well, so, yeah, I mean, with the, you know, with the end of whaling, thankfully, we're not killing them, and they know that. And the curiosity of whales has just got to be the coolest thing ever. Now, every trip that we do, if we spend enough time in the water, there'll be a whale that just gets curious, or a couple of whales, and they will fully mug our zodiacs, and just, like, coming up, and spy hopping, and cruising around, and... And um, kind of the clearest event of this happened a couple of years ago where I was kind of cruising along and we have very strict, you know, whale watching protocol, you know, responsible whale watching activities. So it kind of, you know, and this is this has evolved. I mean, 15 years ago, I would like kind of be zooming towards the whales and whatnot. But of course, I've I've learned and the. There are more of us mm-hmm. and the potential cumulative impact has increased a lot, right? So um, so we're all, I think, you know, the great majority of, of, of operators are much more responsible now. And, and I'm kind of cruising along and just hanging back and driving at something of a parallel to these whales. Just like, well, there they are, but they're a little further than I'm not going to go to them. But, you know, and, and I think... I think my boat, I feel like we were pretty much done. Probably everyone in the boat really had to use the bathroom. Um, we've been out for a number of hours for sure. And um, But then these whales, like they dove and it was kind of a one of those dives where you're like, either we disturbed them or something, but it was a, kind of a reaction mm-hmm. dive. And I figured out that was probably it. And then the next time I see them, they're fully just like beelining towards us. You know, it's going from probably 150, 200 meters away to like next scene, 50 meters away, surface, fully coming towards us. And they just come up and they just stop and then proceed to and two other Zodiacs that were not far away kind of, you know, uh, cruise towards us and join so that we're all at idle speed and then in neutral and then engines off just like the whales just coming up and one's like you know leaning up against the zodiacs and pushing the zodiacs a little and the other one's spy hopping where you know we're sitting in the zodiac and looking up at a whale I mean, God, I can't imagine. These are humpbacks. These right? are humpbacks. Yeah, I can't absolutely. Humpbacks by hopping right next to me in a zodiac. And you just feel so <laughs> tiny and so just like it's just so jaw dropping, jaw dropping. And you know why? Because they're curious, yeah, yeah. and we're not a threat. And 
why not? Yeah, you totally. Know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, that's that's awesome. pretty much my favorite yeah, thing definitely. to be able to call like, yeah, you know, it's just another day at the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. So amazing. So, oh, so great. Well, I think that might wrap us up. We could probably talk forever to but, Ted about you know. his stories and his <laughs> matching, but we have to end a podcast eventually. So uh, Ted, I think happy. Well, you already talked about the website, but is there anywhere they can People can find you on social. It is Happy Whales on Facebook, um, and totally, that's that's great. Um, but you know, if you if you just go to Happy Whale and create an account, you don't have to submit anything, and we'll occasionally send out newsletters and such, and kind of like this is the new development, or here's something. You know, and it's, I mean, I would aspire to send something out once a month. It doesn't end up nearly that <laughs> often, so it's definitely not that we're we're not going to flood your email box. But that's that's kind of one way to be in touch is just create an account, and all you need, all we need is a a name and email there um yeah um love it because my favorite thing about happy well i mean i feel like we're making great contributions to the science like understanding oh, whales yeah. mm-hmm. but the greatest thing really is that it's like eight thousand people have contributed photographs and that's what has built this and i hope it's been rewarding for you know almost every one of these um it's it's it is to me just a just a genuinely um you know, wonderful thing to, to, to be able to kind of like give something back to this community of people knowing their whale a little better or what have you. So, yeah. Well, I certainly enjoy it when I get matches in my inbox or or when we go to, um, put up a name in or an ID number. And I just go, I go directly to happy well to find the name or ID. And then I like, I just take a little look and be like, Oh, look where this whale's been. Visiting the whales. Good show. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. It was really great to catch up. Yeah, totally a pleasure. Thank you, Ted. Take care. Okay. Have a good evening. Thanks so much to our listeners for joining us on this awesome episode. As we wrap up, uh, just a reminder um, while we're on the theme of community science, uh, that this is a great time of year to get involved in your own local community science or nature projects. Things like bird watching, trail maintenance beach cleanups, all these great outdoor activities. Uh, This might be a great time of year to start thinking about getting involved. Yeah. We would really love to hear your thoughts on this episode, or of course any episode, so please visit our website whale-tales.org and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line. This is also a very special episode of Whale Tales because this is our second anniversary episode. So to those of you who've been here since the beginning, happy second anniversary to you, and uh, to everyone who has found us since, thank you so, so much for finding, for listening, and for sharing this podcast we I can't believe we've been two years so crazy, it's crazy. <laughs> well last year didn't count for anything except no. making podcasts so <laughs> that's probably why it's true so thank you thank you thank you Yay. um so if you want to share your anniversary wishes i've just decided that you're going to <laughs> you, you can um look at our social or you can tweet at us directly uh i am fhg07 sarah is sarah k given no h and Nicole is Nick F. Can, C-A-N-N. And as Ted said, you can also find Happy Whale on Facebook at Happy Whales and on Twitter and Instagram on um, with Happy Humpback. And we'll have those in the show notes as well. 
If you really liked this episode and you want to hear even more of our conversation from Ted, if you join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash whaletales at the $5 a month level or above, this uh, the uh, excerpts from this episode will be posted there as a Patreon exclusive. You can also head to our site to subscribe to our podcast, check out our merchandise, learn about supporting us, and read over 1,000 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. Um, Nicole made a porpoise noise. Uh, that's whale-tales.org. Tales like the stories, not tales like the animal. And of course, if you've seen a cetacean, we would love to add your story to our library, and uh, probably Ted would really love to add your fluke to his catalog as well. <laughs> Click the share link on our site and contact us on social media, whaletales.org, or email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible cetacean encounter. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us for two years. We will be back on the last Wednesday of next month with an episode based entirely on an inside joke. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. Just, just wait. It's also been in the works for about eight months. For a really long time. So uh, look forward to that next month. And in the meantime, thank you so much and have a whaley great day.